right, we are going to jump right into this this morning. So grab your Bibles or your phones or whatever it is you might pull the Bible up on, or you can grab the Bible there in a chair around you. It's page 1209, and we're continuing to work through James. We've got a couple more weeks, and so we're going to pack some larger portions of James together. We're doing that again this morning, but we're uh, looking at this letter. James wrote this to some of the uh, first Christians back in the first century. And it's amazing to me when you when you read through James, uh, something that was written you know two thousand years ago or so, um, how relevant it is for us today, and it shows how timeless the Bible is, but it also shows that our world is not much different uh, than the first century. So life's still hard, our hearts are still sinful, and uh, we still need God to give us the answers to help us understand how to do life the way he wants us to do it, that relationship with him. Uh, and just a, a point of encouragement before I jump into this, uh, I've had several conversations with people uh, over the course of our time through James, and as we say, James is very practical, and can be very convicting. Um, so I just want to encourage everybody with, with this, because uh, what I'm hearing back is, oh, I mean, I like James, but man, it's just so difficult to do. You know, talking about words last week, or the use of our tongue, and the impact that, that has, and man, I just I try so hard, and I just can't seem to do it. Yeah, so I just want to encourage everybody. Yep, that's <laughs> what's going to happen. If you're if you're in the fight, it's a good indication that you've placed your faith in Christ, because you're realizing, oh man, I'm not doing it the way God wants me to do it. Then there's another way of doing life, and I want to do it that way. And so that's the battle, and it's always going to be a battle until we get to heaven. Uh, if you're apathetic to it, if you're like, eh, whatever, you know, as James is writing, and the purpose of his writing is to say, okay, Christians, you profess Christ, but here's how a Christian lives, and so evaluate your life against what God's Word says. And so if we're apathetic to it, and we're like, eh, it doesn't really matter, well, that's a good indication that we may not truly understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. Um, and so saving faith, as we've been learning, will show up in our lives. It's going to show out in, in other people's lives. So let's, uh, let's jump right into this. Uh, look what James says in verse 13. It's a long one. Hang in there. Who among you is wise and understanding? So, what do you think? <laughs> Tristan's like, I got it. I am. Sorry, are, are you wise? Are you a wise, not a wise guy? But are, are you wise? Do you see yourself as a wise person, a person of understanding? Do you know how to do life well? Are you feeling pretty comfortable about that? Well, what is wisdom? Well, let's just kind of take, this is generally speaking what wisdom is. It's the ability to apply learned information to life's situation. And so all of us are wise, Right? We are all applying information that we've learned over the years to our life situation, to our relationships, to circumstances that come our way. We're all applying it. We've, we have learned information from our parents, both verbal and nonverbal information. We've seen how they've dealt with each other and how they've dealt with us raising us. We, we've seen how they've um, responded to situations that they've come in contact with, things that have happened in their lives. We've been influenced by teachers, by those that we've read, by media. We've got influence from all sorts of angles, all types of information flowing into us 
And it's based on that that we're making decisions. We're applying it to life. In fact, it's more than that. It's really, it's ingrained in us. We don't even realize how, um, how ingrained it is in the sense that when, when you're facing a situation or when we're facing relationship issues, we don't even think about how we're responding we, because we've learned it so well. It's ingrained in who we are. And so many of us, uh, those, especially those who have come to faith in Christ here in the last you know, few years, you're for the first time learning that there's another way to do life. You just thought that the way that you were doing life was the way you're supposed to do life. It's the way you learned how to do life, and so you're just doing it. And then you come to Christ, you've never really even been involved in a church even, you don't even know there's another way, and all of a sudden you hear about this different way of responding in relationships, different way of responding to life circumstance. And so there's going to be that battle. It's going to be difficult. Those of us who have placed our faith in Christ and we've been Christians for a long time, we've been part of a church for a long time, we still battle with that because what we've learned is ingrained in us. And it's oftentimes not what God wants us or how God wants us to respond. So we're all wise. We're all applying information. The question is, are we applying the right wisdom, the right information. So James describes for us there's only really two types of wisdom in the world that we can pull from. And so now he's going to describe what those two look like, generally speaking. He says, again, who among you is wise in understanding? And so if you are, let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant, and so lie against the truth. So there's two types of wisdom. Wisdom number one is displayed through good behavior or godly behavior with gentleness. So this, this type of wisdom, that as it's displayed in someone's life, it's, it's along God's lines, what God wants, generally speaking, and it's, and it's done in gentleness. And that word kind of has this idea of meekness, and so there's the sense of, of care and concern and and wanting to do it right, but knowing that you have power behind you. That's what meekness has this idea. You can be gentle and kind because you have power behind you to make their life miserable. Okay, um, In the sense that we have God in our life who is going to make this all work out. Wisdom, too, is displayed through jealousy selfish, um, and selfishness. It's motivated by arrogance and tends to lie when it evaluates itself. And so it says, don't be arrogant and lie against the truth. What truth? The fact that we're actually operating in jealousy and selfishness. So again, this is, this is books all about evaluating. Where are we at as followers of Christ? How are we responding to life? Do we, are we showing forth that we have this, this saving faith in our lives? And so these, as we look at our lives and evaluate, okay, what's generally being seen in my life? What wisdom? Is there a godly behavior that's gentle, or is there a, a jealous and selfish, selfishly motivated response? So then he goes on uh, and gives us um, the source, or where these are coming from. All right. So he says this, now this wisdom, talking about wisdom two, number two, is not 
that which comes down from above, not from heaven, but is earthly, natural, demonic. Yikes. Again, James doesn't, you know, mince any words, right? We've seen that over and over again. He's pretty, you know, in your face. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above, wisdom number one, is first pure. Then it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's reasonable, it's full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so he gives us this description of these. And so one source, wisdom number two, we're just going to go in his order. So wisdom number two, it's, it's earthly. It's natural. It's demonic. Now he's not saying, again, he's not saying that a, a person who uses earthly wisdom is demon-possessed. Okay, He's not going that far. But what he's saying is it's motivated by our, our human sinfulness, which at its very core is pride which is at the very core of Satan's sin. Satan said, I want to be like the Most High. That's pride. That's arrogance. He was a created being, and that he was not to think that he was God, or respond as if he was God, or live life as if he was God. And so that was his initial sin, was that of pride. Heavenly wisdom is motivated by purity. Earthly wisdom is motivated by sinful humanness. We want to be the God of our life. We, we see what God's Word says about how we're supposed to do marriage, how we're supposed to do family, how we're supposed to be employees, how we're supposed to run a business, how we're supposed to respond to difficulties that come in our lives. In our lives. But we're like, yeah, I see what that is, but I'm going to go with what I've learned here on this earth. It's the wisdom that the world uses, that non-Christians use. It's just, again, ingrained in them, just like it's ingrained in us. It's the wisdom that Christians fight against. That's the battle in our lives. What God's Word says, what we think we should do, are we going to be the God of our life and choose our way, or are we going to choose God's way? And any time we respond to a, a person or respond to a situation using our wisdom, or another way to put it, not using God's wisdom, we're using our wisdom that's earthly that's prideful, that's arrogant. And what that causes in our life, according to what James says, and I think we all get this, it causes disorder or instability. That word can mean instability. And it causes all sorts of evil, all sorts of sin, all sorts of mess. When we start thinking we know better than God on how we're supposed to respond, and we've all experienced it in our lives, we cause a mess in our relationships, in, in our circumstances. And so, wisdom number one, then, that's the one that's from heaven. It's something that we gain from God's Word and through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to empower us to do it. It's motivated by purity. The, the sense of we don't want to do anything intentionally sinful. We want it to be pure. We want it to be clean. We want it to be in, in the way God wants us to do it. It's the wisdom that Christians are to use. It's expected of us that, that we would use God's wisdom. It makes perfect sense that we would, if we're following Christ, then we would do life the way Christ did life. And it's only found in the Bible, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so if you're out, if you're looking for wisdom and you decide to go to a Christian author, 
and I'll put it in quotations, and you begin reading something that they're writing, but it's contrary to Scripture, that's human wisdom being spiritualized as Scripture, and it's not to be followed. Only that which comes out of Scripture that can line up with what God has in the Bible, and I'm telling you, it's, it's completely different than the world's way of doing it. I just saw um, Matthew West. You guys might have know him as a Christian uh, singer. He wrote this cute little song for his daughters uh, called Modest is Hottest. And it was just for his daughters and basically saying, hey, you know, dress modestly. And, you know, basically guys, that's what guys really want is a girl who's modest and a girl who's following the Lord and that kind of stuff. Well, then the cancel culture, as we've been talking about, comes out and just slams him. And so he apologizes. Uh, doesn't, doesn't seem to think, well, I could at least show from the Bible where this is actually accurate, but he gets slammed, not just by secular people, but by Christians. They interviewed a pastor from Oklahoma who was saying that he just couldn't believe it was, you know, it's body shaming in reverse, and even though the Bible says women are to be modest, and, you know, men and women are supposed to respond to each other so that they don't cause the other one to stumble, and and so there's things men can do to cause women to stumble. There's things women can do to cause men to stumble. There's nothing about that. And, there, and the, the pastor's like, I tell my daughters to just, just you know, be thankful for the body that God gave you. Amen, right? Amen. So wear whatever you want. Not amen. So a little truth, a little non-truth. Someone's going to hear that and go, oh, well, the pastor said it. Go ahead and do that. Great. But the Bible didn't do that. You know, just, that's just one of the little things I just read this, this week. And so he describes it, um, well, I think we have it up on the screen. So he describes it this way. It's peaceable. In other words, it seeks peace. And when we use heavenly wisdom in our relationships, in our work situations, and the circumstances that come in on, into our lives that God allows, the, those uh, various trials that we talked about in chapter 1, we, we go into it, with this idea we want to bring peace to that situation, calm. So everybody can kind of think, and everybody can kind of, it doesn't want us to be this emotional upheaval, we want it to be calm, peaceful. It needs to be gentle. It's this idea of being humbly patient. We need to be reasonable. It means to be teachable, and not stubborn in how we're responding, either to God or to others. Full of mercy. It's, it's not giving people what we think they deserve. Right? Somebody insults us, our spouse gives us a hard time, or our children respond a certain way, or our parents respond a certain way, or boss, you know, whatever. And we're like, oh. And again, this is where it's ingrained, right? We, we just shoot back right away. We just give them a, you know, a shot across the bow. We know a button to push, back. But no, we're full of mercy. We don't do that. We don't push that button. Even though they pushed our button, we don't push back. Full of good fruits. It, it produces good responses. It's unwavering. It has this idea of it treats everyone the same. It's just, you know, just, not just those who like us, not those who do good to us, but everybody gets treated this way. It's, but it's without hypocrisy. It means it's sincere. It's genuine. You say you're a follower of Christ, then we respond that way. And so wisdom number one is heavenly wisdom. It, it does what's necessary to bring calm by responding in, in gentleness so that God's will will be accomplished, which is righteousness. That righteousness will be produced. He says those who, who bring this peace, the seed, 
of peace. It'll bring righteousness. So where earthly wisdom brings instability and disorder and every evil thing, when we bring God's wisdom into the situation, God's saying, hey, this is going to bring my will into the situation. This is going to bring my righteousness into the situation. It's going to flow through you to those in the situation or those watching us as we go through whatever it is we're going through. So James is, uh, I kind of connect with James because as you guys know, I'm, I'm really good at finding the things that are wrong. Um, <laughs> I don't, don't know why, but I am. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm very realistic in my view of life as opposed to pessimistic as some may say. But James continually takes us to the negative to show us how messed up this can really get us. And so these next verses, he says, okay, here's what happens when we apply our human wisdom, no matter how good we think it is, when we apply human wisdom to our relationships. And again, this is good because he's talking to Christians or those who profess to be Christians. And so it's nice to know that even in the first century, people were having these issues. We're not the only ones. And so he says this, So this is going into chapter 4 now, verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? There's that disorder, right? In our families and in our churches, when we operate in human wisdom, there's going to be quarrels and conflicts. There's going to be disorder. Is that the source of your pleasures, our selfish desires, that wage war in your members? Isn't that where it comes from? It's just inside of us. There's this battle going on. God's way, my way. God's way, my way. You go. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. Oh, what? You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Well, at least they're not killing at this point. Do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses. Wow. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards talking to Christians? And those who profess to be Christians. The friendship with the world is hostility toward God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Talk about disorder and instability. Talk about demonstration of of arrogance. It's a mess when we use earthly wisdom. We'll cause conflict with others and will to cause conflict with God, the very one that we say we worship, the very one that we say has saved us and we are his child. And so to conflict with others, he says that you lust and do not have, and because of that you murder. Now, he's not saying there's some scholars who want to say that there are Christians back then who are killing other Christians. Um, I, I, you know, Most other scholars say, no, that's not the case, and I, and I would agree with that. He, he's not saying that that Christians are getting in fights in church and they're pulling out the knives and they're, you know, shivving each other over it and killing each other. What he's talking about here is kind of what Jesus was talking about back in the Sermon on the Mount, right? When you have anger towards somebody, if you call somebody you idiot, it's as if you've killed them. Why? Because sin is a heart issue. And so the sin of anger in someone's heart, it's going to come out in a bunch of ways. Ultimately, it's going to come out potentially in killing somebody, and we've seen that, right? When someone kills somebody, it's usually out of, you know, anger, hatred. But when, when we have anger in our heart, it comes out in a destructive behavior. It comes out in destructive words. It can come out in destructive actions. We lash out at people. 
whether it's our spouse, our kids, our parents, our boss, our co-workers, our neighbors. He says, you, you, you envy, you're envious, but you can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So we want what somebody else has, and we don't think they should even have it, but we can't get it, and so we get angry about it, and we get, start fighting about it, and we try to get it somehow, some way. In the end, we see this all the time. <laughs> At one level or another, in our relationships, and even in situations in, our, in churches, you know, when you've got people from different backgrounds, you know, working together and serving together, and there's different opinions on how something should be done, there's going to be some frustration potentially. And what are we going to do with that? How are we going to respond to that? But then he takes it a step further, and he says that, that this creates conflict with God. He says you don't have because you don't ask. It kind of harkens back to James chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, right? He says, ask God for wisdom, and he gives it to you generously, but don't doubt when you ask. And that word doubt, as you guys remember, it doesn't mean it's just like, ah, I'm not sure if God's going to do it. It's doubting to the point that you don't even ask. And so some people will be like, yeah, well, God, God can't work in my marriage, or God can't work in my family, or God can't work in my work situation, God can't work in this, God can't work, so I, I don't even ask anymore. Well, that says more about us than it does about God. Because God never changes. And his, his goals never change. His purpose never change. And so that's an issue. We say we're a follower of Christ. We, we have this relationship with God, but we're, we, we doubt that he's even going to respond. You've got to look at that and say, hey, what, what's happening? And then he says, but in some cases you do ask, but you don't receive. But why weren't they receiving? And why might we not receive? It's because we're, at, we're asking in selfish reasons for our own sake. And this is how it works. We, we have a, let's say we're in conflict with a person. And so we begin to pray that, that God would change that person. And then we start telling God what that change should look like. So we want the change in another person the way we want the change to be. That's human wisdom. We don't want the person to change the way we want them to change. We want them to change the way God wants them to change because the way God wants them to change is best for them and best for us. Man, we talk about this a lot in marriage counseling. And it is the hardest thing for spouses to grab hold of. I don't want Kim to become the person I want her. Well, I do. But I shouldn't. And when I do, that's what causes the issues. I want Kim to become... The woman of God that God wants her to be. She wants me to become the man of God that God wants her to be. Why? Because that I'm the best husband for her and she's the best wife for me. And that goes throughout all of our relationships. And then he says, you adulteresses. Whoa. Now, he's not saying that these people are out committing adultery with other people. He's saying you're committing spiritual adultery against God. You've entered into a committed relationship with the God of this universe. And now you're saying, man, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it the way I think I should do it. I'm going to do it the way the world says I should do it. Because anytime we do things that God says do it one way, and we say no, we're acting like the world. And so now we're being committed to the world. We're fond of the world. We're showing that we're not so fond of who God is. And God says that's spiritual adultery. 
talked about in the Old Testament. Jesus preached on it. James is just picking that whole thing up. And then when we do that, we put ourselves in a position of hostility to God, to be an enemy of God again, like we were prior to coming to Christ. Now, he's not saying we're going to lose our salvation, that God's going to turn his back on us and never listen to us again. That's not what he's talking about here. But what he's talking about is kind of like a disobedient child. And so when our children have disobeyed us, what are they doing? They're, they're in a position of hostility because we said go do that and they're not doing it. And so what happens there? Well, the, the loving parent will discipline that child. I know. I know where we're at in our world today. I get it. But godly wisdom says to discipline that child. Human wisdom would say, well, that's the child's choice and you need to listen to the child and what the child wants and no, biblical godly wisdom says no, parents, demonstrate godly discipline. And then that child, because whatever it is, is has a certain sense of pain to it, because what discipline is, right? The guys who are training for the Olympics, they are disciplining themselves, they're putting themselves through pain, and they're doing it to themselves. This just happens to be a parent, loving parent doing it to their child. God doing to us. He's going to do things in our lives. He's going to allow things to be in our lives so that it becomes a discipline for us to then to get out of that position of hostility. So what do we do? What, how do we move out of that position of hostility? What are the steps that we need to take to right the ship? And so James gives us a promise, reminds us of a promise, and then he gives us some things to do. All right, so first, the promise is this, and, then, and some of you are going to say, oh, wait a second, um, my version doesn't read the same way as what I have in there in red, and so I'll explain that. Uh, but let me read it first. He says, or do, you, or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? And it's not a, a passage of Scripture that he's talking about here. It's just kind of an overall teaching in Scripture. He, God, jealous, jealously desires a spirit which he has made to dwell in us. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is one of the, verse 5, this is one of the hardest verses in all of Scripture for scholars to interpret. So in the Greek, Greek doesn't have punctuation marks, Greek doesn't have capital letters uh, in the sense of, in their sentences, where a sentence starts and ends. Uh, and, it, and it sometimes um, doesn't have pronouns, and so we have to put the pronoun in, right? So, there's a debate as to what he's really saying here, and for the sake of time, I'm not going to go into the full debate. We can talk about it later if you want. We're just going to go with what the New American Standard has. Either way, you translate it. Either this is the Holy Spirit or man's spirit. Either way, um, it doesn't change the meaning. Okay, So that's the important part. And so here's how it breaks down. So the context is in verse 4 about this spiritual adultery thing where we, we're turning our back on God, we're cheating on God, by doing life our way, the world's way, rather than his way. And so, he desires the Holy Spirit in us. He, he has placed God himself in us, the Holy Spirit in us, and the Holy Spirit's responsibility is to help us, empower us to remain committed, to, to know what God's Word says, and then to seek his empowering in order to live that life, and to remain committed to him. And so, when we don't do that, we we are basically causing the Holy Spirit to endure our sin. Because the Holy Spirit never leaves us. He's always with us. 
And again, that's something in the mind of God and how that all works. But when I choose to not do life God's way, the Holy Spirit is still in me. That's why I say we don't lose our salvation. The Holy Spirit remains with us all the way into, into heaven. But then God gives a greater grace. God's grace is always greater. Always greater. And so He gives us what we need to say no to the earthly wisdom and yes to His wisdom. We just need to humble ourselves. Right? Opposite of pride. We need to humble ourselves. And so, those who are humble are going to commit themselves to continually do something. There's, there's ten um, commands in this next verse. I'm going to put them into four sections. There's actually ten commands about what we are to do with, in our relationship with God, and then one command about how we're supposed to respond to other people. They're in the aorist tense. These ten are in the aorist tense, which means, um, and again, words mean things even in this day and age. Um, so an aorist, aorist tense means it is a point-in-time decision. So today, people, is what James is saying. Right here, right now, you and me today, we have to make this commitment to do it God's way that's going to continue on. But it's a point-in-time decision. You've got to do it today. That's what the aorist tense is basically saying. So here, here are all the ones that we're supposed to do. Here today, right now, boom, submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Not that he's ever gone anywhere, but anyways. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak against one another. So now we're, this is the, you know, towards other people. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother, again, brother or sister, speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. We're talking about God. But who are you who judge your neighbor? So I'm going to package these things into four because they, they can be packaged that way. And so we're going to do that. So the first step, plus it's easier to do four things than 11 things, right? So the first thing is submit to God. And submit means to willingly come under the authority of. Well, we've already done that as Christians, right? We've placed our faith in Christ. God's adopted us into his family. He's our father, we're his child. He's our master, we're his servant. Every relationship we have with God is... He's in charge, and we have come under his authority. And so we just get back under his authority. We commit again today. No, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get back underneath God's authority. When I do that, that will cause me automatically to resist the devil, right? By that, meaning do it the devil's way. Do it Satan's way. Do it the world's way. And, and with that, then he's going to flee. Because we're committed to God, doing it God's way. And then it will also naturally cause us to draw near to God. Makes sense, right? If I have disobeyed my, my parents, and, and then I come to them and I say, I want to come under your authority, what, am I, what are my parents doing? And they're hugging me, and they're way to go. That's what you need to do. If, if I draw near to them, they're going to draw near to me. Now, in God's situation, God never moves away from us. God's always there. 
it's really what we're doing. And James just kind of says, you know, he'll draw near to you. I think that means he'll just he'll, um, confirm that we're doing what we need to be doing, that that's the right move. And, and just also saying this, um, sometimes as humans, we look at our relationship with God and we put a real human spin on it. And, and so we, we, you know, I'm spending time with God, but I don't really feel like I spend time with God. I don't have this feeling of warmth, or whatever it is we're looking for. Well, we're not to be living on feeling. That's human wisdom. We need to be living on the truth and promises that God gives us. That's heavenly wisdom. And so we may sit with God on one day and spend time with him in his word and prayer, and then we get done, and it's like, man, I'm ready to take on the world. You know, you're all geeked up and ready to go, you know, on fire, or some people kind of. And there's other days you're going to get there, and you read something and be like, well, not really sure what happened there, but, uh, you know, thank you, Lord. I'm going to go on to my day, bless it, you know, and you go on to your day, and, and there's really nothing there, emotionally speaking, feelings-wise. It's interesting because later on in the week, whatever you read that day shows up. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, I see the connection. Thanks, God. Now there might be a little bit of a, some warm fuzzy there because you're like, oh, wow, God, God showed up. You know? So let's not get all worked up in this whole feelings thing because feelings is human reasoning when it comes to relationships. I don't always feel close to Kim. I don't always feel a warm fuzzy towards Kim and vice versa. But, you know, there's always that commitment. There's always that knowledge that she's always there. I know she'll be there. So once we've committed to come back under God then, then we repent of sin. That's what all this stuff he threw out there about cleansing of the hands and purifying the, the heart and um, you know, mourning and all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to break down every one of those words, but what he's talking about there is get into a position where you're going to repent of your sin to say, own it. Yeah, I, I messed up. I, I was doing life my way, and I wasn't doing it God's way. God, I'm sorry for that. Please forgive me. I'm not going to take joy in doing it that way. And so I'm going to repent of my sin. I'm going to turn 180 degrees. And then he says, humble yourself in the presence of God. When are we not in the presence of God as Christians? So what's he saying here? Humble yourself in the presence of God. I think what he's saying here is, Live every day humbly because you're in the presence of God. Your life, my life, the life we live as Christians, all of it is worship of God. Not just Sunday mornings. We say this all the time. Not just Sunday mornings. This is worship. This is a form of worship. But our very lives are worship of God. How I respond to my family, how I respond to my neighbors, how I respond to circumstances is all in worship of God. As I say, God's way is better than my way. I worship you, God, in this. He says, live your life that way. And then lastly, he then turns back to people. He says, don't judge others. In other words, don't condemn others. Don't look at somebody else's life and say, you know, they're not doing that. You know, don't look at your spouse. Or don't look at your kids. Or don't look at your parents. Don't look at your employer. Don't look at any other Christians in church and say, yeah, well, they're not doing it. That's not your place. It's not my place. Our place is to do what God's called us to do and then bring peace into our relationships. And in that, then God's going to do whatever he's going to do in someone's life. He's the judge of whether somebody is really truly doing life God's way or not. 
And he's the one, he's the only one who can change the heart of another person. We'll never be able to do that. So as the, the band comes up, again, James's overriding point is that our, our works don't save us, but, but they show whether we're saved or not. And so every time, every week, we're to sit here and evaluate, okay, what does this mean for me? How does that impact my life? Is my life representing Christ? And in this case, am I doing life God's way? And so the takeaway is really simple. <laughs> Whose wisdom are you applying in response to your relationship and life situations? And you can evaluate what's What's involved in those relationships in that situation? Is there, is there chaos? Is there disruption? Instability? Or is there peace? And is there gentleness? It's a great way to be able to evaluate where we're at, the wisdom that we're using, and whether we're using it God's way. We just need to submit to Him. We need to repent. And this is ongoing. Continually put ourselves under the authority of God. Continually repent when we do things wrong. Understand that my life is a worship service to Him. And then to respond to others in gentleness and not in judging. Thank you.